Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. This episode is sponsored by Goo Energy Labs, a performance sports nutrition brand that I love. I've been using Goo products for the majority of my running career, and watching their products and team evolve over time has been super cool to see. Offering initially just energy gels, they now offer gels, chews, stroop waffles, post-training recovery mix, electrolyte options, traditional nutritional supplements like vitamin D, magnesium, and more. I use just about all of their products on a regular basis, and lately have been loving their liquid gels, which I found to be the easiest mid-run fuel of anything I've tried yet. For the long run listeners, get 20% off anything on their site with the code FTLR at gooenergy.com. Enjoy. Welcome back. I have Lisa Rivera joining me on the podcast today. Lisa, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, so first question, who is Lisa? <laughs> so... Um... Adalhisa Rivera, uh, nicknamed Lisa, is an Afro-Latina, uh, born in Harlem, raised between New York and New Jersey. She, or I, am a runner. Um, I'm a community activist. I'm a social worker. I'm a veteran. I'm a mentor. I am a supporter in the community. I am a pacer with Harlem Run. I am a goo ambassador and so many more. I am just a person who loves to give back to the community and a product of the community. That is quite the intro. Um, you've, you're doing a lot of amazing things. And um, first, thank you for your service, uh, first and foremost. Um, so everything you just said can be summed up with one word, I think, and that word is community. Um, so what is what does community mean to you? Community, honestly, is it's not just my passion. It's what excites me. It, it's a purpose for me. Um, going through, like many of us, we go through many hurdles, many challenges and traumas in our life. And the community has always, since my childhood, has been where I turn to or my supportive network or um, where I get fulfillment from or excitement or just have fun, right? So community to me is one of the biggest and most important thing that there is, which is why I always um, find a way to give back or to be involved or just to engage, honestly, sometimes just going to an event um, because it's just so meaningful for me. Like when that sense of community is lost, especially now with COVID, redefining and re refinding, redefining and finding new ways of creating a sense of community um, has been on a difficult side, but it just reinforced the importance of community in my life. I love that. Um, how has or how have you shifted your approach to community in 2020? And what are what are some of the ways you've managed to stay connected in this sort of disconnected world we're in? So, you know, like like all of us, um, Zoom has uh, been one of the many <laughs> ways they connected. Um, we've had several uh like birthday, baby showers, holiday, work events um, celebrated through Zoom. Thank God they were in the era of technology, as well as FaceTime. And, you know, for those that don't have iPhones, you have the WhatsApp videos. Um, I don't personally have TikTok, but I love, love all the TikTok videos that are shared on social media. They keep um, the humor up <laughs> for me, <laughs> um, as well as sharing it with others. Um, another way has been, um, I've never really done virtual, um, workouts or hosted virtual workouts. So in the beginning of the lockdown, um, I'm from New York city. So in the beginning of the lockdown here, we were trying to stay all motivated with each other. And as a shape up instructor, it's a New York city, uh, program that offers free fitness in the community. And as a shape up instructor, um, 
I had to find an alternate way. So, of course, our co-founder of Harlem Run, Amir, encouraged me to start doing virtual workouts. So every Tuesday through Harlem Run, myself and a few other pacers were hosting different workouts um, through live on, on Instagram. So that was one way of keeping a sense of community and being together and, and trying to do things together. Uh, another level has been just literally sharing with people what workouts I've done or where I did them or how I'm being protective um, has been another level, as well as, you know, being honest and having honest conversations with friends and individuals in the community. What are my who's in my pod? What are my uh you know, my COVID uh, boundaries, for lack of better words, uh, as well as the individuals I live with so that we're all trying to stay safe. Um, but I think that that's been the bulk. There's been a lot of check-ins. There's been a lot of texts just to make sure that we're being supportive of one another and a sense of community is still there. For sure. It's been a lot of adapting and evolving over time. One of the things that I've enjoyed um has been uh, essentially like a little FaceTime prior to a run and then after a run and it feels like you sort of did it with somebody else, um, you know, but you could be 2000 miles apart. So it's finding these like little things that add some sense of normalcy into this period that's not very normal. Yep. Yep. Definitely. So, so you mentioned Harlem Run. How did you get involved with, uh, with that organization? <laughs> uh, it's funny, not too funny uh, story. So I, um, I was going through a very uh, difficult time about five years in my life, a you know, turning point in my life. And I was weighing, I, I stand five one, you know, on the shorter side. And I was weighing about 180, 85 pounds. So at this point, I was having a lot of uh, back pain, feet pain, and a lot of other issues. So on top of what I was going through and emotionally where I was, mental health where I was, and I decided to make a shift. I started small by changing my eating habits. Then I finally got a gym membership. Then it was like, okay, let me actually go to the gym. Let me take a class. And my closest friend, who's also my cousin, um, has started running with Harlem Run. And she was introduced to Harlem Run by someone she attended college with. And she kept telling me to come, come, come. And I used to make all kind of jokes, like who runs in the snow? Who runs in the rain? Why would I run outside? I'm not a runner. Every excuse you could think of. So she took it upon herself um, and did like a white lie. She talked about Harlem Run had this new workout on Thursdays and it was going to be an amazing workout and I should come. So because I started going to the gym, I was like, okay, I'll do a workout. I'm not going to go out and run. So I showed up um, in July in 2015 to Harlem Run on a Thursday night, which is now I know their speed work night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was coming <laughs> into you know, some, you know, maybe hit classes or stretches or, um, <laughs> you know, something else. Nope, time to work. <laughs> You know, we do back check. As soon as we're done with back check, our coach, um, Rachel, on Thursday night says, all right, guys, uh, we're all downstairs. We're going to run over to Marcus Garvey Park. I was like, run? What? What is this? <laughs> uh, but I mean, I I ran, walked uh, over to Marcus Garvey Park, um, huffed and puffed, our co-founder, Amir, um, actually stayed with me. We did. Uh, 400 by 400 around Marcus Garvey. So like every like opposite corners we would take, I think it was a 90 second break that we were taking. And um, Amir stayed with me. I was chewing gum. Amir's like, okay, maybe you might want to get rid of the gum. I wasn't wearing the right sneakers. I mean, I had cotton socks in the summer, like you name it. You know, we all go through our phases of learning, right? What works best for us. And people were just so supportive and so nice. And I was hooked. I ended up coming back after that, you know, shortly after that, um, in October, 2015, then I became part of the leadership team of Harlem run and became a pacer. So I've been a pacer with them now, um, for about five years, but, um, it's been a blessing that little white light has led to so many, um, 
opportunities and growth and development in myself, but also in my involvement um, in the community and my professional development and supporting others on their journey. Um, but yeah, that's honestly how <laughs> how I got involved um, with Harlem Run and ultimately like the beginning stages of me getting involved with running. <laughs> so it sounds like you had a pretty incredible first day at Harlem Run, uh, chewing gum and wearing cotton socks and through the park. Um, why did you go back for the second time? Honestly, I came back because, um, like I mentioned formerly, the co-founder Amir stayed with me the whole time. Um, he gave me a lot of words of encouragement. He had humor. Um, it was very supportive from the beginning um, to the end. As a beginner, like complete beginner, no knowledge, I felt um, like the workout was very detailed, very detailed and well explained. Um, I also didn't feel alone. I felt supported. Um, you know, there was like, you know, that sense of, uh, encouragement and achievement all in one workout. Um, and then there was like, you know, who are you and the check-ins, the pre and post check-ins with each other. Obviously there was that adrenaline rush. Um, but, I came back, honestly, because of the community. They were very supportive. Some people like immediately requested me on social media, checked in, gave me advice, shared links. So, you know, going from a Thursday to a Monday night run um, made it even better because there was a place, you know, for me. They, I didn't, I wasn't ready already. I wasn't ready in the beginning to dive completely into running. Um, but it was amazing that Harlem Run offered a walking group in addition to the paces that they offer. At the time, they were the only um, running group in New York City that I knew of that was offering that. But with every walk, I learned more from other runners um, or even other people that might be in, the, in their journey to getting into running um, and even the pacers themselves, there was just a wealth of information, but it wasn't just about running. It was about your mental health. It was about the community, what's going on, how are we? It was a real sense. I keep using the word community, but I just felt seen, heard, validated, understood, and like I belonged. So to me, it was like, how could I not come back? you know, while working on myself and continue to engage in a community that's being that supportive of me and my own personal goals. Something you said there um, struck a chord. You said you felt seen, heard, and validated. Yes. Um, so as we, as I mentioned before we started recording, I've been pretty much alone for the entire um, last few months of quarantine and isolation, whatnot. And um, on a run the other day, there was, uh, I was running, it was my long run. I was about to start a tempo and I was feeling really good. And this dude in a Penske truck driving by through Newton, um, shouts out the window, like, uh, uh, happy holidays, bro. Like looking, looking money. <laughs> and I, and I smiled and I was like, hell yeah, I'm feeling money. I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm, I was rolling. And in that moment, I was like, okay, that, that, that was fun. And we like leapfrogged for the next uh, couple blocks. And he kept, he kept shouting out the window and he was fist pumping. And then we turned and, um, and, you know, I didn't think much of it. And then I brought this up in, uh, in my therapy appointment yesterday. And I said to my therapist, I was like, that stupid, like random little encounter was like the best the best part of my week. And I was like, yeah, well, endorphin assisted. But um, the point was, so my therapist was like, yes, you felt seen, heard, and valid. He, yeah. he used the same words that, that you just used. He's like, he was like, somebody else was experiencing something with you and you felt seen. Um, and so <laughs> I can, I can only imagine how you felt on that day because um, it's just so important. Um, so it's a little segue into, you said you're a social worker as well. Um, 2020, I'm sure has been, um, a challenging year to do that professionally. 
while also dealing with your own mental health. Um, so, which is something I like to talk about a lot on this podcast. Um, so my first question is, how did, how did mental health become an interest for you uh, first professionally? So professionally, um, even before I knew I wanted to be a social worker, um, as I mentioned formally, I'm a product of my community. Um, I was part of the New York City NYPD Explorers Program, which is where they have different young adults in the community um, engage in a program where they're teaching you, obviously, different values, integrity. Um, they're teaching you, you know, basic uh, skill sets like how to stop a vehicle, um, safety and first aid, and you do competition, a whole bunch of stuff. But the police officer that I had, um, there was a mentor at the time, you know, we were talking about like my career paths when I was in high school, which which way I was going to go. And at that point, to be honest, in my family, no one had graduated high school. So to me, my goal was just to graduate high school, right? So this program were the only people really talking to me about college. Um, and based on like my community involvement through the program and the volunteer stuff that I had done, um, he suggested, well, why don't you become a police officer? And then I, I looked into it and then I was like, well, what about social work? And he talked about, well, social work, you know, being a police officer is one of the biggest ways to be a social worker. Now we're talking about back in 1999, 2000 and, um, that led to a lot of dialogue, a lot of research, a lot of thought process. But looking back now as a 36-year-old woman, you know, I've always played somewhat of a role of a social worker in the community in different ways. Um, so it was natural to me when I decided to go to school, when I was an undergrad, when I went and got my master's and continued that um, to do it. What I did realize, though, initially when I went into it, I thought I was going to go down the path of clinical social work, like direct one-on-one work. And I've been now in the child welfare world about 14 years now I've been in the child welfare world. So for a lot of people that don't know, that's I think about foster care, prevention, um, you know, reunifying families, adoptions, that world. Um And I'm, you know, I did direct practice, supervision, um, community work. And then now for the last three years, I've transitioned more to the administrative side. So I'm working directly um, for the commissioner of ACS, which is the Administration for Children's Services in New York. Um, And I work specifically in the Office of Agency Accountability, which is um, making sure that the recommendations that are issued to the Administration for Children's Services by external oversight, such as the Department of Investigation or the state or city comptroller's office or the Office of Children and Family Services, among others, external oversights, those recommendations that are issued to us and are accepted that we are making sure. So between my supervisor and I, we are making sure that these things are implemented, but we're also making sure that they're just not um saying they're implemented. We're asking appropriate questions. We're requesting supportive documents. We're having ongoing dialogue around how has this been implemented, but also how is it being sustained? So that's the work that I do currently, where I transition more from the one-on-one, more to a system um, level. But um, I think through the years I've transitioned, when I went to get my master's is when I really dove into my interests. And that's really where I, I really had that light bulb. Like I love the community aspect. I love doing the administrative aspect, more the system level. How can we impact or create change that is going to impact a larger audience or a larger population or a larger community? Um, and that's, you know, and it, it, it speaks to my engagement with Harlem Run. It speaks to me being a shape up instructor. It speaks to me being a mentor it literally speaks to so many um, parts of my life. Uh, But social work for me really came from the number of social workers, whether they had the title of social worker or not, the roles that they played in my life, my brother's life and my mother's life um, through through my childhood and even my adult life. 
and how they supported us and what we needed at the time so that we could be here. Um, so I think it just stemmed from personal experiences and traumas all the way through just accomplishments and successes that we've also had individually and in our in my involvement in a lot of other things. So it's a wolf. There's many reasons <laughs> how I No, it's super cool. I'm in social work. It's 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 always fascinating when when a, a lived experience changes a path. And so you said that um your own history, your own experience prior led to your desire to help others. Uh, I think that's an admirable quality. And I think it's also an interesting reflection to essentially see and say, I want a better way and I want to help other people see a better way as well. Yes. The parallel to Harlem Run is also interesting because it sounds like they are equipped to um, they're equipped to to work with amateur runners and and welcome amateur runners into the community in ways that I don't think I've heard about before. Um, I've been a part of a run group that um, I couldn't imagine being an amateur runner or I couldn't imagine being a beginner runner in um, starting in a walk run program. Um, so talk to me about the the intentional or the intentionality there. Um, and maybe what, what people can do if, I mean, in this time when gyms are closed and all, you know, everybody seems to be running, like, <laughs> let's say somebody listening has a friend that's wanting to start running. Like what, what do you tell those people? What are you, what are you saying to them? How are you, how are you coaching them? So I think, um, I mean, I definitely, definitely have to owe it to our founder, Allison Desir who founded Harlem Run, right, and created a space where she wanted everyone to feel welcome, but also to be diverse. Um, I think one of the greatest things that I love about our group is that on any given Monday or Thursday, you may see a mom or a father in a stroller. You may see an individual with their dog. You may see someone come out with their child. You may see someone come out pregnant. You're going to see someone that runs a seven minute mile or six minute mile come out, or you're going to have someone that runs a 15 minute or someone that's brand new. I think that the, the Pacers, the, the team that I'm part of, we we remember and we know, and we also have our moments where some of us have had step backs because of injuries, because of life, because of different situations. So we're able to relate, right, to what people are going through in regards to, you know, running what people may consider slow, you know, and to me, honestly, your race, your pace, right? So whatever you're running, that's exactly where you are. And that's your baseline and work from there. Um, and I think that another great thing that Harlem Run does is it's it's a community run. We're not, it's not for training. It's not for competitiveness. We don't promote, you know, running every race and getting every medal. And, and you know, we don't promote like the time is the best thing. It's more about being, you know, healthy. Um, it's and healthy in regards to making sure you're taking care of yourself, whatever that means for you. And I think that that trickles down, you know, from the top down. And by the top, I mean, obviously our founder, our co-founder, and then all of us, the Pacers, and even each other. It's beautiful to see like um, when we get together and we do have a social run, um, how you might have supported someone on their journey and now they're supporting somebody else. So it's like this trickle effect or ripple effect, I think is the word. Um, it just, it just, everybody just does it for each other naturally. And in regards to like what we share, I mean, it's like basic things. Like when we started this conversation, I talked about, I came with sneakers that were not running sneakers. I came with cotton socks. <laughs> um, and then I, I had to learn these things, right? Um, Harlem Run at, you know, period, different periods has done uh, workshop series with, you know, like, what do you wear in the cold? What do you wear in the rain? What's appropriate things to wear? Um 
for running, you know, where, where do I go? And, you know, they have different coaches and whatnot come in and they've done different series on different things. How do you prepare for the marathon? Like what's a marathon training plan? So we've, we've been fortunate that a lot of individuals in the community have also supported us along the journey. And because of that, I, as an individual, as an individual athlete and runner have learned and been able to pass that on. Also, I used to work, um, for Jack Rabbit, the New York running company, the main flagship store over on 59th Street. And they also gave me additional training around gait analysis and clothing and apparel and material. So I think it's it's pulling all of that together and all of us sharing it with each other and then ultimately sharing it with the community. Like we're not holding back any information. Um, you know, and some of us might be more skill set in one area versus another, but we're constantly sharing that information with each other, honestly, for personal improvement, to help each other become the better version of ourselves. And then in turn, we're just sharing it with with our runners. On a Monday night run, you know, I'm pacing the run walkers. I love my run walkers. I love seeing someone transition from I can't, I can't, I can't, or I'm at 16 to 13 minutes to, okay, Lisa, I'm leaving you now because I'm going to run with the 12 minute tonight. Um, I love seeing that transition and then seeing that sense of accomplishment in themselves. Um, But it also helps others see by seeing others do that or start that journey with you. It helps others see like, oh, I can do that too. Or, oh, he was injured and he came back. Oh, he had some personal stuff going on or she has some personal stuff going on and she's been able to come back from that. Um, so I think it's just that we're very honest. We're very open to everyone and anyone that comes. There's no sense of, we don't charge any membership fee. There's, um, there's also, I mean, I will say now the New York city running community, a lot of people stay and cheer as long as they can. Um, when I first started running in 2015 and I started doing races in 2016, I, was much slower than, you know, what I was in 2017 and 2018 and 2019. And I was at the back, the back of those races. And it was, it, it was very lonesome to get to a lot of stops, a lot of miles, and no one was cheering you. No one was there, but then you would hear, you would see it on the social media. You would hear it from other people, how amazing it felt, but you didn't experience it. But Harlem Run wasn't that. Harlem Run had their miles, whether it was in the Bronx, whether it was in Brooklyn's races, whether it was Manhattan, the cheer station, there was always at least one or two people that would stay to make sure that they supported those in the back. And that also was another piece that was very supportive to me. And we've continued through the years. Um, and it's actually great to see that so many other running groups are also doing that in the last couple of years, I would say in the last two and a half years, because it's not about your pace, right? We're supporting each other and living a better and healthier lifestyle, regardless of what that reason is. It's not about you know, how many miles can you complete in a specific time or how fast can you go? It's really about being healthy um, and creating that healthy space for others that, you know, that safe space for others. I love that. I I think that one of the things that makes running so relatable and and approachable or potentially approachable is that um, I've spoken with Olympians, I've spoken with professional athletes, and they all feel that the numbers just don't matter. And what matters is, did you do your best? Did you, did you put it all out there? Like I had a conversation with Ben Rosario. He was the first, the first um, guest on the podcast and he's the coach of Northern Arizona elite a group of um, pretty high end athletes. And he said, we don't even talk about times in our pre-race meetings. We talk about executing and we talk about getting the best out of your body and being satisfied if you know that you gave it your all. And it's a, I think it's a little different, but it's, it's the same mentality of like this running thing can be done by anyone and we can all share a similar story um, just done at different paces. And it's, it's the, the attainment of, beating your own best or, or seeing what's possible. Um, which is one of the things I like about this podcast because 
you know, like I said, like I've had a hundred professional athletes on and we rarely talk about paces because it just doesn't matter. And it, what matters is the, the story in between those miles and, and the story in between those runs and the story in between those races and the people you share it with and all of that. So I think it's really encouraging to hear that, um, that's, that's how it's, um, being presented. And I think that, there's, there should be room for more of that. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, as much as I agree, I also disagree with, you know, that running is for everyone. And what I mean by that is that unfortunately the running world is for individuals with money, right? I, I identify, I am in the social work profession and I identify as working poor, you know, between my student loan debt and the cost of living in New York City and life itself, it's very, very expensive to be buying two pairs of sneakers at minimum a year to train and run a race, right? Plus the cost of the race, plus travel, plus food, plus nutrition, plus there's so many aspects, right, to training for a race. And it, it becomes very um, expensive. And, and it's sad in a way that a lot, a lot of individuals will love to experience these things or, and aren't able. I think that that's also one of the reasons why I appreciate that Harlem Run doesn't charge membership fee and we give the knowledge we have for free or we provide the resources that we have for free or we try to connect with other individuals to support runners. We may not be able to give, you know, scholarships or pay for every little thing, but there's been different opportunities um, thanks to our founder and our co-founder that we've been able to like, for example, send people out to um, uh, the Rockies. You know, we had, I think it was three of our runners, people of color, the first, like the first black man they've ever had that actually completed all the six days was our runner, right? And that to me speaks volume. One, you know, more people of color should be involved in these things, but also it speaks to more people would do these things. You would see more people of color, but unfortunately money, money plays a huge part in accessibility for a lot of individuals. So I wish that there was um, more that, a lot of these different companies um, that are involved, not just in the sport of running, but in sports general, um, would do for the communities um, so that people could actually do more and be healthier, right, um, for themselves. Yeah, and I think, um, thank you for acknowledging that. It's something that, like, I often overlook, and it's, it, and probably many of my listeners overlook and it's it's a reminder that um needs to be heard and then more importantly there needs to be something done about it um it's great to see i have a friend who um runs an organization here in boston called stride for stride and they're an they're an organization that buys race bibs for immigrant um immigrants people of color and low-income runners so the goal is to make races more accessible and more diverse and i think that um doing things like that and supporting groups like that are, it is a way to achieve some sort of progress. Um, and it's, you know, I think the only way is slowly chipping away at it and making it more accessible and then, um, showing that it can be more than what it appears to be. I had a, I did a podcast with, um, with a friend named Adam Mary, and he uh, identifies as um, he is mixed race. And he said, I show up to a trail, he's, he's half black. And he says, I show up to a trail race and I'm the only person that looks like me. <laughs> and yeah. And, and he's, you know, at the front of the pack and he's racing with, um, you know, other, other athletes, but he's, he, he says he's, you know, I can't imagine how that feels. And, um, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Like we need more of these programs and we need more of these, um, displays of like, this is, this is for everyone and everyone is here. It's not just 
saying it right yeah you know and i again like you know i continue to grow and develop and research and learn and listen right because no one knows it all and i'm very grateful for like i said a lot of the work that the individuals at least you know not just the individuals from harlem run but others that are doing in the community around representation but you know allison desire our founder you know she's very comfortable calling out, you know, individuals or companies or organizations, you know, around those taboo and uncomfortable things that we may feel uncomfortable addressing. Like, you know, why aren't there more people of color, you know, on magazine? Why aren't there more people that look like me? Why is it always about slim, you know, skinny, you know, look, why aren't there more individuals on the thicker end? Why aren't there more individuals, you know, on with different paces, you know? So I think um, there's just a continue acts and push that needs to be a community effort to continue to push for representation on all levels, right? Not just economically, but, you know, there are so many running groups all over you know, the United States and the world, right? that that should be reflected. If I pick up any type of magazine or look at any product, I should be able to see that, you know, it shouldn't be the constant, um, same hair type, same skin tone, same weight, same paces. There should be so much, there's so much more to the individuals that are running than just those things. But it's just, I think another highlight of Harlem Run. And I think it's another reason why individuals you know, feel at home, for lack of better words, because someone looks like me, you know, not only does someone look like me, someone works in the same profession as me, someone made it here despite being a parent, someone is here with their child, despite not being able to have daycare to take care of their body, or someone, you know, knows about a program where I can get free coaching, or I can get free hit classes that will support my strengthening for my running. So I think it's, it's, Again, it's, it speaks to the word itself, community, but it's really bigger than that in that we're advocating through the usage of movement to promote real change in the individual and ultimately on a bigger scale in the communities. And hopefully, you know, I know Allison will definitely, you know, continue, but hopefully on a bigger spectrum in these companies and these organizations and those individuals putting on races and, you know. That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I think that running is something that's so fundamental to health, right? Plenty of people run for running sake, and then there are people who run for health and fit and and longevity sake, right? Like if you run for thirty minutes a day, three times a week, it's probably one of the the best things you can do from a cardiovascular standpoint, not related to food. So fundamentally like that needs to happen more. There's a, a lack of activity problem for, I don't know, the majority of Americans. Mm -hmm. And running is probably the easiest, or walking maybe is the easiest, but um, running might be the, the next easiest in terms of skills required and tools required and places that it can be done. You don't need a gym. You don't need a blah, blah, blah. You do need the shoes. You do need the socks and all that stuff. Um, so I think that I agree. It's the, you, you talked about a systemic um, or a, a public health focus of it. Like, I think that's, that's the need. It needs to be, it's sort of the, the twofold approach that the, you know, boots on the ground, that part's necessary, but I think there, there needs to be incentives in the right way. And it, I mean, one of the problems with our country is that everything is um, financially motivated. And so there needs to be um, the right incentives for these companies and these um, government agencies and things like that to care about this. And um, whether it's the insurance companies that do it, uh, I mean, I work for a company that is in the business of optimizing and, and improving life and longevity. And you would think that an insurance company would want this for their 
for their subscribers. But the problem is it's, it's uh, a delayed cost. So because they don't need to pay for something now, mm-hmm. they don't want to pay for something now. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's plenty of evidence that suggests, you know, if you do this, then you will Prevent. improve. Yeah. <laughs> Prevent. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's like, okay, you could, you could spend a hundred dollars now, or you could spend a thousand dollars later and at a, at a population level, they'll take the thousand dollars later every single time, which is uh, well, terrible. You know, and I mean, and it's, it's, you're right. There's so many factors and this is such a deep rooted thing because also if you think about safety, right, I'm a female, female of color. Um, I'm a, I, I identify on the thicker end and I can't just wear whatever I want when I go out running, right? Because I get hollered at, I get all kind of words. If I don't pay attention to, then I get cursed out. I get called all type of names. If I don't pay attention to the callings or the cat calling, like I can't just go out for a run, right? I can't wear headphones because if I wear headphones, then now my safety is also at risk. I can't run in the evening. I can't run early mornings because I have to be attentive of my safety. And that's just as a female. Now, now, when you're talking about a person of color, you know, some of my friends, they can't just get up and run as a male because people will see them a certain way. They're assuming they're running to or from something or there's there's also, there's so much more to this and race and, and skin tone and, and what you look like in the communities that you're running in and accessibility that plays a role. It, it's so much more than just um you know, public health and, and these companies. And, and I think that that's just the, the continued conversations that need to happen and the continue um, advocacy that needs to happen on so many different spectrums. But to speak to some of the things that you're also mentioning, like I, the city insurance that I have, um, medical insurance through the city as an employee, um, Actually, they've started in the last two years, like offering people gift cards if you attend, um, if you're attending your annual exam on an annual basis, you know, you get put into a, a raffle. If you are engaging in like a physical activity and provide some level of documentation of that, they're, you know, rewarding you and entering you into, into raffles for something else. So, I will say that that's my first time encountering an insurance being trying to be preventive in regards to someone's health and encouraging them to do more activities and be more active and be more attentive to their health and what's going on and preventive measures, as opposed to the other end, which is like, we want to make money in the long run. So let's not say anything. Thanks again to Goo Energy Labs for sponsoring this episode. Initially known as the energy gel company, Goo now offers several different product lines designed to meet the needs of today's athlete. It's not just the mid-run refueling option that I love, but their post-run recovery protein that mixes so well with coffee, or even the before-bed magnesium and vitamin D supplement too. No other magnesium supplement has worked as well as theirs has for me. This season of running is a great time to try something new, so why not try Goo? For the long-run listeners, get 20% off anything on their site with the code FTLR at GooEnergy.com. And now back to our conversation. How have you used running to help you in 2020? So 2020, like uh, for many people, has been uh, very challenging, but also for me has also been very rewarding, very Mm -hmm. eye-opening. There's been a lot of things that I'm also grateful that 2020 um, exposed me to or help me develop or grow. As a runner, um, in the beginning of the year, I would say probably through maybe August, um, it was hard. It was hard because I moved back home because of COVID. Um, so I'm back with at home with my mother um, and my brother. So it was very scary. Um, how do you navigate that? Um, like, you know, how do I go out and, and be safe? Also, we didn't have all the information we have now about COVID and we still don't, right? So it was very scary. Um, our community runs were, uh, had gone virtual. So you do it on your own type thing. So it was very difficult 
um, to get up and go. I think that those individuals that you created a relationship with in the running world is what kept me getting up. Um, one of our pacers um, from Harlem Run, JD, uh, started using this ha- hashtag team GSD, which is get, I don't know if I can say the second word. Go for it. Yeah. Shit done. Um, he just kept tagging us and we were all like the hashtag kept motivating us to get up and tag each other and post videos on each other's pages. Um, so for the, I would say for the, the beginning portion of COVID, I was very highly motivated. I was trying to stay busy. Um, so I was using my stairs in the apartment building as a way to work out since I can't go to the gym and can't go anywhere. I was doing, um, the virtual, uh, beginner bootcamp classes, which forced me to work out while helping others. Right. Um, virtually I was, um, I, I have a step, I was doing step with the videos from YouTube, um, to stay motivated. Unfortunately, um, our neighbor downstairs, we, we live in a building and we have wooden floors. She was complaining. So I had to be strategic about what I can and can't do. So then I transitioned to getting back on my bike, which was interesting. And just going out for bike rides on my own and enjoying the sun and the breeze and, you know, still being protective and socially distanced. But unfortunately, in the last, I would say, um, three months, it's been very difficult. Harlem Run officially came back in September. Thank God. Um, we're running together, but socially distanced, uh, masks required at all time. So because of that, I've been able to still a minimum, you know, Monday nights, at least, you know, to get out the door and community and get some form of movement. Um, but it's been very difficult. So I, uh, have a pinch nerve, um, in my back. And then I have, uh, extremely, extremely tight psoas muscles. And then on top of that, you know, working from home, not having the appropriate seating, um, while you're working all day on a computer, um, has impacted, uh, that flexibility, which in turn has impacted, um, so many other factors about like getting up and going. In addition to that, unfortunately, um, fortunately, but also grateful, my mom um, suffered a heart attack and then went into cardiac arrest and was hospitalized, had two surgeries. Now she's back home and, you know, the recovery is another journey. So now I'm a caretaker, but um, a lot of different factors, um, a lot of different things have played into the last couple of months, but I'm grateful for the community because at minimum, I'm able to get out on Monday nights. And when I can't get out, you know, or I only get out on Monday nights there, you know, I have those individuals reaching out, let's go for a walk or I'm downstairs or meet me here. So there is still a level of movement that's happening. Um, and hopefully, you know, in the coming year, once the, my mother's insurance approve a few more things, I'll be able to get back into my routines of running several times a week, specifically for my mental health, um, just to feel like I can breathe. But it's difficult. Um, I think it's a difficult time that we're all living in, um, especially in the cities versus individuals living, you know, living in an apartment complex versus someone living in a house. Um, I think there are different um, risk factors. And living alone versus living with others um, defines there's different factors, right? Pros and cons to everything. But um, running, running, running this year has been interesting to say the least. I was supposed to be training um, to run London. That didn't happen. So hopefully I'll be running London's marathon, God willing, um, next October. Um, But it's, it's, it's been a challenge. And because, um, these are, these are outlets that I use, whether it's, it's getting on a bike, whether it's running, whether it's going to a gym class or yoga, these are outlets that I've used for, as part of like, for lack of better words, my mental health treatment, you know, for me to Mm -hmm. be able to release, for me to be able to be present with myself, for me to like literally close, you know, the 1001 tabs that I currently have (laughs) in my mind, right? Um, And just shut down and reboot. 
Um, and it's been very difficult because I'm not a homebody. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. for me, it, it's kind of felt like, you know, when you get put on punishment, like you, you're grounded. Um, <laughs> you're grounded. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we've I'm all been grounded home. for nine, nine months. <laughs> uh, so I've had to, uh, I've had, I've been exploring different things. I, you know, for years have wanted to learn to knit. I literally self-taught myself through, um, watching videos and reading things online. So I, because of COVID, I, I am a knitter now. I opened my business a month ago um, and have been selling like knitted goods. So um, I'm finding alternate ways of um, closing all those 1001 tabs and still finding a way to literally take care of myself, you know, self-care. Um, and then in regards to the fitness, like I mentioned, um, Things are always going to happen. You just have to reanalyze and reassess how to do or what to do, right? So for me, it's been like I need to take a step back and re and reassess where I am, where my body is, what I need. So I started going to some PT sessions. Um, so that that's something that I started recently is going to PT sessions. I am back into um, therapy, and then uh, in addition to that. Like I mentioned, the knitting has been another supportive way of me, like literally just shutting down and focusing on one thing. And then like, obviously Monday night runs, I am, I look forward to them every single week where Harlem run. Um, and then, you know, it, hopefully in the new year, I can get back to doing more of these things, but we don't know what the new normal is going to be. Right. Um, so hopefully looking forward to, I don't even want to say the new year, but just the next month, which is January, to be able to do more and be get my body more in movement than it has been. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's amazing what the 30, 60, 90 minute time to yourself can do for you in so many so many ways. Um, one thing you posted on Instagram recently that I absolutely loved was uh, a photo of a of a dead battery, oh. and it said, "You wouldn't you wouldn't let this happen to your phone. Don't let it happen to you either. Yes. Self care is a priority, not a luxury." I think that if twenty twenty has taught us anything about self care or um, uh, the importance of mental health, like that's it. Like that's the core of what um, needs to be um, commonplace. And I saw something on Twitter the other day that I, I don't remember what the actual tweet was, but the, the context of it was basically like <laughs> everybody is walking around completely insane and nobody has their head on straight right now. And, and I think that maybe it's always been that way, but now there's just sort of an acceptance that it's normal to, or it's okay to not be okay and to need to do something about it. Yeah, no, I, I totally, totally agree. I think that it also created, sorry, that's my work phone. Sorry about that. I think it also created a sense of, of also awareness about what a lot of us in, in lower incomes or, or lower income communities, things have been lacking, right? And the resources that haven't been around, right? So, you know, someone like myself with a master's degree, a professional working for the city, shouldn't be struggling to find a way to pay not only basic needs like food, you know, medical housing, but in addition to that mental health, like it shouldn't be so difficult to, to, to have that. And that's me as someone, you know, that's considered right a professional because I have a master's degree and there are so many other individuals that need it. And we know the importance. And I think that, you know, like you mentioned, COVID has definitely, these situations have highlighted a lot of these things in our communities, in our state, in our country that we maybe knew, maybe didn't know, maybe thought about it or knew and didn't do anything. I think that now is it's is it in every conversation, it's being put out there 
and it can't be ignored anymore. Yeah, you, it can't be ignored at this point. There has to be more attention to it. Um, and it's needed. Like, it, it impacts, like, you know, I, I mentioned to, um, like I mentioned, our founder, Allison Desir, came and supported me and my brother the day my mom was getting one of her heart surgery. And, you know, we briefly talked about different things. And one of the things we talked about is, like, who knows what impact this is going to have have on our on the children right for future generation because so much of our communication is body language you know and we're covered now especially now in the winter you're covered because of all the attire you wear but now you're also covering your face so how is that going to impact future generations and communication styles and whatnot or even just how do you cope like you know how social skills yeah so Mental health is definitely, I think, I'm grateful that COVID has made more and more things um, put them out in the open, right? A lot of us mm-hmm. know them, but I think it, it, it's putting them out there and making more and more people aware. But I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that this will create more change and more dialogue and hoping that it's not just a, while COVID is happening or while COVID still doesn't have a resolution that these are discussions and hopefully that people will create change or support or try to give more for people to be able to take care of themselves. Um, And also understanding, like you mentioned, I think you said it great. It's okay to not be okay, right? With everything going on, all these additional stressors in addition to our daily life stressors, I think it's okay for people to understand that it's okay not to be okay, which is why I'm like, I had to take a step back (laughs) from all the titles and all my responsibilities in the community and literally just literally focus on like self-care and that, you know, some days it's literally me shutting everything down and taking a bath and literally sitting in a bath with a bath bomb for an hour. You know, some days it might be, let me get on zoom with the girls, you know, some days it's, I have to go to Harlem run. My phone is on silent. Do not disturb. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think it's just all of us reminding ourselves that it's okay. Wherever you are right now is where you need to be. And that's your baseline. That's your starting point when you're ready to get to whatever the next step is or your next chapter is, because none of us have a book, a guide on how to function in these current times and none of us know what's next. Right. Yeah. I love that. And I think it's, it's such a, um, it, it makes so much sense. And it's, it's, as you said, now we have an awareness and a, and a public discussion about things that were swept under the rug or were, you know, you don't really talk about these things. And now it's, it, they can't be ignored and they can't stay the way that they have been. Um, so I, I hope that we see change with a lot of these things that we've talked about. Um, and I'm cautiously optimistic on it. I think that a lot of it has become so front and center that it would be a colossal failure for many, many people if, you know, we went back to our normal lives um, after this. So hopefully we don't. Uh, and we all have to work to um, make that uh, the reality. Um, switching gears a little bit, but sort of along similar lines, one of the fan-submitted questions was, uh, the day has only 24 hours, but your days seem to have 48 hours. How do you manage your time? You are one involved queen. <laughs> Whoa. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I um, I think that um, I, as a type A personality, very detailed structure, I think that that was uh, encouraged or or improved uh, in my years as, you know, as a young adult in the NYPD Explorers program. And then when I was in the military, it was definitely highlighted um, being structured and rituals and routines and times and planning. And then, you know, transitioning into the child welfare world and working with, you know, 
you know, caseloads that were over the required amount, number of families, emergencies, crises. I think that being very detailed and structured, I love, love that calendars are now electronics. I mean, I have like three emails, all of them have calendars on my phone, everything is being put in there. Um, I have 24 hours, um, like everyone else, right? Um, what you do with them is what counts. The best thing I could tell anyone in order for you to continue to perform your best is try, right? Try. And by trying, I mean, literally pencil into your calendar or put a post-it on your mirror that you look at every day or in your car, you know, every day, try to give yourself 15, 30 minutes every day, just for you. For you to breathe, for you to think, for you to, you know, talk about what you're grateful for, for you to work out, whatever it is, try to give yourself 15, 30 minutes every day because that's what's going to keep you going. Like I mentioned before, I, you know, I am a lover of, of baths. So for me, baths are one of those things. I now love and enjoy knitting because it forces me to just focus on the pattern that I am repeating to create an end result. And it forces me to like not stress or worried about other things, but that one pattern that I'm working on, you know, it may be running, it may get on a bike, it may be, you know, listen to music and dance for 15 minutes or sit in the car outside for five minutes, you know, or maybe write out affirmations, read out affirmations. I think that it's in order for you to keep going, you have to take care of yourself. There's no other way. Um, and I think living your life with intention and purpose, I think, you know, is great. Like a lot of the stuff that I do, I don't feel like it's work because I love doing it, you know? So because I love pacing, because I love, um, doing the, but that's a double, it's, it's a double edged sword, um, in a way because, and, and I feel like we are very similar in that regard. I absolutely love what I do for work. I could, I would do it all day, but I found recently I've like put myself into a hole and it's like, yeah, I could just work more cause I enjoy it. Um, but at some point, as you said, it's the, like, you have to, you have to pull back so you can spring forward. Yep. You have to create those boundaries, like with anything in life, right? So although it may seem, whoever submitted the question, although it may seem like I have <laughs> hours, I only have 24, um, but I am very strategic about um, what I do with those 24 hours. And those individuals that are close to me are very aware of my boundaries. Like, for example, Monday nights and Thursday night, unless it's an emergency or caretaking responsibilities for my mom, like they're not to be disturbed. <laughs> that is like my time for Harlem Run and my time for pacing. Like that is no, no, unless it's a crisis situation or an emergency situation, uh, it's not happening because it's not just about giving to the community, but it's also a time for me. It's a time for me to refuel and re, you know, release and, and be re-energized to be able to produce the next day. Um, so I think it's, it's not just also creating that time. I think it's also vocalizing that time to those closest to you, maybe a partner, maybe your best friends, maybe your roommates, um, whoever that's your supportive network, because they will also help you hold you accountable. Um, my friends will be like, no, you said you weren't, you know, when I train, I usually don't drink alcohol. So they'll remind me of that. <laughs> um, <but> yeah. <laughs> so positively or negatively? No, positively. So I, I you <laughs> know, they, they're, they're positive. Well, one will be like, come on, it's just a drink. But, <laughs> you know, it's cards. They'll help you run better. Um, yeah, but, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I think it's just being a planner. Um, I think everybody's capable of it. But in order for you to do that, you have to be intentional with what you want to do, what's important to you, and then sticking to those boundaries, creating boundaries, because it's very easy to be like, I'm not doing anything or, you know, I'm not, you know, not going to do that today. And also being okay that being okay to like grieve things that didn't work out the way you thought they wanted to work out or being okay that, you know, you can't control everything that happens, right? But we can choose what we're going to do next or what we're going to try to do next or how we're going to respond to that. So it's also being okay with, 
oh, that didn't work today. Or I had that plan today. Now I have an, an hour to myself versus, you know, 30 minutes. So that makes sense. I think my last question um, is uh, what do you back, back to this running thing? What do you know now about running that you wish you knew when you started? Oh, what do I know now about running? Hmm. See, I, <laughs> that's a, that's a good question because I, along the journey, I'm a, I ask questions. I, I never not feel comfortable posing questions. So along the way, mm-hmm. I've been fortunate enough to meet um, many runners um, athletes of all levels, coaches of different levels and different fields that have supported me along the journey. But I think, um, I don't think I would like change necessarily or want to know anything different because it helped develop me along the way. You know, asking some of these questions helped me better interview when, you know, I was being interviewed to work at Jack Rabbit, the running company. It helped me, you know, be a better, for lack of a better word, salesperson at Jack Rabbit. But it also helped develop me as a runner, which in turn helped me share that wealth of knowledge with others. Um, I mean, I'm I'm grateful that my cousin used the white lie to get me to Harlem Run, right? <laughs> because she, I love that so much. She, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just an easy run. Yeah, she had tried for so many months and I was like, nope, not happening. Um <laughs> But I don't, I, maybe, um, maybe having, you know what? I take it back. I think that I would want to have a better understanding of like race and, and culture and like the money component to running and money component in various ways. Like what does it cost, right? To run these things, how much you're really going to spend and, um, how to really, and why you're spending this money, like, you know, to support your body in order for it to perform its best, but also for it to recover and continue to perform. So it doesn't impact you in the long run. I think I, if those are some things that maybe I wish I would have learned new early on, because then I could have budgeted better. Um, I think the first two years into running, I went into, I got, I got a lot of credit card debt, um, the first two years into running because I wanted to run all these races. I wanted to travel. I needed to have two pairs of sneakers at minimum, you know, to train and run. And I needed to get my nutrition and I needed to get my PT. So I think, um, as a planner, right, I would have, I would have liked to know more about that aspect of running so that I could have better coordinated or planned my finances or sought out supports if possible or resources to support that journey. Awesome. I love it. Um, Thank you so much for, for sharing um, you and your community with, uh, with my audience here. And I'm excited to share this one. Jonathan, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful holiday season. And I hope that the new year is great for you and all of us. Of course. And likewise. And maybe I'll see you uh, at the New York City Marathon next fall. Hopefully it happens. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.